Alright, that was the opening music to The Hitchhiker, directed by Ida Lupino, and released by RKO Radio Pictures, and starring Edmund O'Brien, Frank Lovejoy, and William Tallman. Uh, you're listening to Classic Movie Reviews, and you can find us on the internet at www.classicmoviereviews.net or in iTunes, just search for Classic Movie Reviews. And I'm Matt Johnson, and I'm recording from the Seattle area tonight. And I'm Bob Johnson in Los Angeles, welcoming everybody back to Classic Movie Reviews and uh, the work of Ida Lupino as director. A very strong, a successful person in uh, the film and television industry, who I think is often underappreciated. Yeah, I should say that this is Ida Lupino Month, and we're going to be watching a couple movies that she directed, and then a couple movies that she starred in. And I was reading that this particular movie, The Hitchhiker, uh, lapsed into the public domain, and you can probably see it online somewhere, although I got a disc from Netflix uh, and watched it that way. But uh, it's interesting to me that these films, some of them just get lost like that and they don't get renewed and then they just fall off into the public domain. I was wondering if that might have happened because of the kind of end of RKO Radio Pictures. I I don't know that they're even around anymore. I I may be wrong on that, but that may have contributed to it. as far as some background information on the film, Ida Lupino and her husband uh, started their own production company, Filmmakers Incorporated, and they, in conjunction with RKO, put this picture together, and it was released in March of 1953. To show some of the talent that she uh, had, she also co-wrote script for this movie with her husband, and a little bit of information, and, and uh, I'm kind of jumping around here. She was uh, obviously the director, and the film was a pretty good success at the box office. The elite cast, Edmund O'Brien, what a what a talent. He was one of his favorite role, famous roles was in Dead on Arrival in the late 1940s, where he's poisoned with radiation. Then, Matt, you'll remember this. He was in The Wild Bunch. Oh, yeah. He was that crazy old prospector. And then Frank Lovejoy made a career on uh, radio as an announcer and in roles. He had a wonderful radio voice. And how could we ever forget that William Tallman was the district attorney on the Perry Mason series who never won a case, to my knowledge. I don't know how he got reelected. You got to give him credit for persistence, though. Even though he never won, he kept coming back. He, ne- he never gave up. Um and then the music was with by uh, Leith Stevens, and I thought it was a really good soundtrack to set the mood uh, for the film. Yeah, the, the music was good, and it really made it feel like a film noir movie. And, and not only the music, but the kind of the high contrast black and white, and then the scenery too. Man, I think some of my favorite parts of the movie were when they were driving through the desert on that single lane road, and yes. it would go... It, they didn't flatten out the, the the ground at all. It was the road followed the ups and downs of the terrain, and uh, I just thought that was so cool. I found it really fun to watch because normally film noir is sort of dark and shadows and rainy and night. 
in the city. Here's a film noir, and they're in the wide open spaces of Mexico. But it still had a claustrophobic feel when they were riding in that car. Yeah, and uh, a lot of it did happen at night, and you could barely see what was happening at some parts. And I don't know if that was just the quality of the film version that we watched, or if I, I imagine that that was on purpose, though. I, I would think so. And for those of uh, you in the audience that are car fans, that trip that they made was in a 1952 Plymouth Commodore. <laughs> a brand that's no longer around. What I kept thinking along the way, like the whole movie when uh, William Tallman's character, Emmett Myers, yes, had yes. them in the car and, and they were doing different things. They'd go into a, a canteen or they would go into a little store. And I kept thinking, now here's a chance where they could get away from him or here's what they could do to get away from him. And I kept thinking of ways that they could either escape or get the gun away from him and, and knock him out or something, you know? And like, the, and I think that was part of the fun of the movie was putting yourself in the place of these two fishermen that kind of had been hijacked by, by this guy. I know. I so wanted Edmund O'Brien's character to just deck Tallman, hit him over the head with that revolver. But it, well, at the end, there was a little of that action. But uh, just uh, some other uh, information I picked up in reading about the film. It's based on a true story that took place in California where uh, a man named Billy Cook killed five people in 1950, and parts of that incorporated into the film. Idol DePino got permission to interview Billy Cook, and he agreed to have some of the things that happened when he was doing that part of the story, so it adds to the realism. So it's sad that it would be based on a true story, but in a, in a way, it was kind of like In Cold Blood, the movie in the 1960s, based on the killing of that family. Well, yeah, but I also thought that even though it was based on a true story, I thought it was just a good dramatic story and i thought it would make a great western and in some parts of it reminded me of treasure of the sierra madre when humphrey bogart has those uh his two compatriots at gunpoint and they're kind of headed yes. back or in the professionals when they're uh trying to escape uh near the end and they get into that storm and uh, and the scenery too reminded me of those western films that I'm sure a lot of Westerns were filmed in, in those areas. And I, I really like the location shooting. Yeah, I agree. It seemed to add that much more realism to the movie that on location. One of the things that she did, that uh, Ms. Ms. Uh, you know, did is since they had such tight budgets, she often was would use actual places instead of having a set. Just a little bit more on her to reinforce the fact that I think she was a wonderful director and actor. Uh, Ida Lupino was the only female director in Hollywood in the 1940s into the 1950s, and she was often making independent productions that had a real social commentary. And she did her regular acting so she could make enough money to do these uh, kind of independent movies. She referred to herself as the poor man's Betty Davis as an actress, poor man's Don Siegel as her. Huh. <laughs> yeah, it's a, quite a lady. I don't think she's given herself enough credit there. I thought this was a really well-directed film, um, and I'm looking forward to the next one. It's 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 uh, it's so unfortunate that there weren't more female directors in the 40s and and into the 50s. But you know, to be realistic, we're still dealing with that now in not only Hollywood but in so many different industries of trying to get more female representation. So 
it's an ongoing struggle. And even a, a broader uh, pool of diversity in terms of all kinds of people that would be directing and acting. I just wanted to say that I find anything on the film in the American Film Institute, but this film is preserved in the U.S. National Film Registry as being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. Great idea because it's just a small, low-budget film that was shot in about less than two months. I, I, I like that the U.S. National Film Registry does this preservation. Uh, yes. Because I think we've watched several films that have been uh, in that registry. And I can I can see why this one is in there. It it has a real sense of realism, and when I was watching it, I felt like I was getting a little glimpse of what it would have been like in the early '50s, like in Mexico, uh, in the southern and in the southern uh, western United States. So I I really like that aspect of it as well. Uh, when I sent you that email yesterday, I asked if you thought that Emmett Myers, the William Tallman's character, was in any way related to Rudger Hauer's character pitcher from the 1980s because he had that mad dog crazy look like he might have been the guy's grandfather or something i thought william tallman as emmett myers did a great job i mean there's a story that i was reading before we got on the call about uh william tallman was in los angeles in a convertible and he pulled up to a stoplight and a stranger came up to him and said are you the hitchhiker and he said well yes i am and the guy the stranger like slapped him in the face (laughs) Oh, no, really? Oh, my goodness. He was, like, so uh, offended by how evil he was in the movie. And William Tallman said, well, I never won a, a Academy Award, but I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> no kidding. I tell you, it's it, that's the kind of time when you'd want to say it's only a movie. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm an actor, dude. It's like <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. The story is basically pretty straightforward. These two people... Edmund O'Brien and Frank Lovejoy are going on a fishing trip. When you get to next intersection, why don't you turn south? Chocolate Mountains are east. Well, they were the last time we headed that way. Who needs the mountains? Why don't we go to San Felipe? Nothing to do in San Felipe but fish. Well, that was the idea, wasn't it? Yeah, I guess so. Well, we might just pick up a drink in Mexicali. Remember Flora Bell at the Alhambra Club? Yeah. She's probably dead by now. That was a long time ago. Yeah. Poor old Flora Bell. Well, there's no harm in drinking a toast to her. Okay. You know, except for the war, this is the first time I've been away from Morty and the kids. You want to turn back? No, no, no. We've come this far. Mexicali's beginning to sound good. And they make the fatal mistake of picking up a hitchhiker, which turns out to be William Tallman. And then there's about an hour and 15 minutes of what happens as they reverse Mexico and they have flat tire. They have a flat tire. They try to buy groceries. The uh, oil pan on their car springs a leak. There's all kinds of interesting things and i thought the opening of the film was very realistic when they show sort of the pre-story to the hitchhiking of william tallman's character and what he was doing in murdering these people for their money or their cars i thought that was excellent i thought the opening was really really good and i liked especially that scene where 
all you see is the light from a flashlight, and then the light from the flashlight kind of goes up onto the uh, license plate of the car, and then it kind of goes along the side of the car, and then to the open door, and then it shines on an arm that's hanging out of the door, and yeah. then you see uh, there's two people inside the car dead. And I thought that was a really cool shot and effective to set the mood and kind of raise the tension a bit. That was really well done. To your point about whether uh, Rudyard Howard and Emmett Myers might be related characters, I kind of liked the Ed, uh, Emmett Myers character more because uh, it it felt more like a real person to me. Like the Rudyard Howard character in The Hitcher was so over the top evil. Yes. Whereas this guy was more like, yeah, he was a bad guy. He was he was definitely a bad bad guy, but at the same time, he was still kind of a human being. You know, he still had there was still something about him that maybe could be redeemed at the end. Uh, even though I read that the actual uh, story this was based on ended with that guy uh, being put into the gas chamber. So. Yeah. Uh, that- that did happen. Just one other uh, note on Ida Lupino to further reinforce the fact that I think she was terrific. She started in 1952, Four Stars Productions with Dick Powell, David Niven, and Charles Boyer. And I remember as a kid in the 50s and 60s, they made a boatload of television programs, and she directed and starred in a lot of them. Now, next, let's see, next week we're doing one, too, on her direction, right? Yes, Yes, okay. On, I think it's On Dangerous Ground. Stars Ida Lupino and Robert Ryan and Ward Bond. And Ida Lupino directed On Dangerous Ground, 1951. He was the uncredited director for that movie. It's a really excellent movie. It takes place in Denver and Granby, Colorado. I think you'll find it to be really enjoyable. Again, black and white. It's got a really good rating on Netflix and IMDb, so I'm looking forward to... Uh... To that one. One thing we should probably include, if we can, is that is that uh, near the end of the movie, when Edmund O'Brien finally loses it and goes into all the things about Coleman's character that are so bad, his stinking clothes. <laughs> yeah, that was great. I love that. Better go fishing when you got a chance. That's what you came down here for, wasn't it? You guys are really fools. If you weren't one of you, would have got away. But you kept thinking about each other. So you missed some chances. You got tired. You slowed down. Now it's pretty late. Yeah, tomorrow I'll be in Guaymas. Too bad you're not making the whole trip with me. (laughs) That'd be kind of silly, wouldn't it? You stink, Myers. You smell just like your clothes. Sure, you'll make it to Guaymas, but they'll catch up with you and put you out of your misery. You haven't got a chance. You haven't got a thing except that gun. You better hang on to it, because without it, you're nothing. You're finished. Shut up! Sort of, that was kind of the the flip side of the speech that uh, Emmett Myers gave about why these two guys were such losers and how they had it yes. easy and that nobody ever gave him anything and that's why he was tough and he was going to survive. And Where'd you get the watch, Bowen? My wife gave it to me. 
start over here. Didn't you hear me? I told you to throw it over here. like this once when I was 17. Nobody gave it. I took it. Knocked off a broken down jewelry store in a little jerk town outside of Tulsa. It was a cinch. You guys are soft. You know what makes you that way? You're up to your necks in IOUs. You suckers. You're scared to get out on your own. You always had it good, so you're soft. Well, not me. Nobody ever gave me anything. So I don't owe nobody. My folks were tough. When I was born, they took one look at this puss of mine and told me to get lost. I didn't need them. I didn't need any of them. Got what I wanted my own way. And you get the know-how and a few bucks in your pocket. You can buy anything or anybody. Especially if you got them at the point of a gun. That really scares them. You ever been at the other end of a gun? No. And I never will. And then at the end, uh, there's the speech about why Emmett Myers is such a rotten human being. And I, th I liked both of those speeches a lot. They're so, both of those are so well written, and I'd forgotten about the one that Tolman's character gave earlier in the film. I, I kept, but I kept wondering, the, the one thing that I wondered the whole time I was watching is, why, why did Emmett Myers keep these two guys along for the ride? I, I guess... Earlier in the film, he had said that he doesn't kill somebody without a reason. Uh, and so maybe that was the reason why. But what's your theory on that? Well, he was on his own. They had photographs of him all over the West. And I think he wanted to be with these two guys because then it's a threesome. Because they went through one checkpoint and they made it through because there were the three of them in the car. And then about halfway through the movie or near the end of the second act, he doesn't need to do that anymore, but I think he kept them because he thought it might be a way he could save himself, saying to the police if they caught him, I've got hostages, and if you don't let me go, I'll kill them. Yeah, the hostage scenario was the most plausible to me. There, oh, there was something else. Oh, when you mentioned about that checkpoint, did you like how they didn't even have to stop? There was like one little yeah. guard shack, and that's how easy it was to get into Mexico in 1952. Pretty. <laughs> Pretty low-key, right? No kidding. Uh -huh. Well, I uh, gave the film an 8 out of 10. I, I went with the 8 because of the excellent locations, the mood. I, I went down from a 10 out of 10 because I thought that the ending seemed a, pr a bit pre predictable. Maybe I was frustrated because Edmund O'Brien could never really hit because he had had it with that guy, but that's what I did. How did your rating look? Oh, I 
I went with a seven out of ten just because I thought the same things that you were saying about how the ending was kind of predictable and and uh, I thought well I don't know maybe an eight out of ten I I kind of go back and forth between a seven and an eight it was a really good film it really is I I, I really enjoyed the story I really was just kind of invested in these two guys making it out I liked the camaraderie between the two and how they wouldn't leave each other behind and Emmett thought that was a weakness but I saw that as a as a strength for them I I there was a comment earlier in the film about how um Roy Collins who's Edmund O'Brien's character was a was in the war and that this fishing trip was one of the was only the second time he'd been away from his family the first yes. one was World War II so I, on the one hand, I thought, man, this guy's kind of probably a badass. He knows how to handle a gun, and it was clear that he was a sharpshooter in that scene where yes. Emmett, Emmett made them shoot that can, and he made Gilbert Bowen, uh, who's the Frank Lovejoy character, hold the can up kind of close to his head, and then Roy Collins shot the can out of his hand. I thought that was a cool scene. So I was I think there was this conflict in Roy Collins' character between I could probably take this guy out but if I did there's a chance that my buddy Gilbert would get shot and killed and I I don't want to take that chance and there's also a chance I could get shot and I want to get back to my family. So to your point about why he didn't just knock the guy out sooner I think he was really conflicted inside between doing that and then also ensuring that that he and his friend would get back alive and uh there were several times when gilbert would get really hot-headed and want to just somehow take take uh, emmett out and uh roy would stop him from doing that so uh, actually i'm kind of talking myself into an eight actually <laughs> so 
<laughs> well, seven, eight. You know, we, we, we have such good benchmarks with uh, Grapes of Wrath and Double Indemnity. Every time we do a movie, I, I think of those and then I reference it to, to those. And it's hard to come up to that standard. Well, the things that kind of knock it down for me are things that I, I feel like maybe shouldn't knock it down, like the quality of the film. Uh, it, in some parts, it felt more like it was a TV drama to me, but then I think that's not... I shouldn't knock the film for that. That's just because they didn't have a lot of money, and I think they did a really good job with the budget that they had. And on the flip side of that, the scenery and the location filming was just outstanding. So, uh, And it was a short film. It was only 70 minutes, but that's kind of the way films were back then. There were a lot of shorter you know, 70, 75-minute films, and so that doesn't really detract from it for me. And I love the fact that it was directed by a woman and and uh you know it not that that really even mattered i mean it was just a really well-directed film man or woman yeah well i think the reason those shorter films were around then is that oftentimes as a kid i'd go to the movie there'd be a double feature so you would have this movie and maybe one other a western or something like that so so you're still going to be at the movie for like two and a half hours uh, yeah right. <laughs> yeah it was just programmed differently in the early days of television when it wasn't as popular next week it's another idol Lupino uncredited directorial it I six or seven films as a director over 50 television shows they're hard to find though that those are the they two that are. I I could find and I would say we could watch four movies that she directed but I, those are the only two that I could really get my hands on and uh, she's obviously been in more movies as an actress, and so we can round the month out with those. Uh, and I, I think this is a great idea. I'm really uh, looking forward to the next one. If this first one's any indication, the next one's going to be uh, a, a good one. It really will be because it's as realistic as this one was in terms of the location and all. Yeah, cool. You, you feel like you're right out there in the winter with them. Oh, I, I'm looking forward to it. So. Yeah, that's it. That's uh, The Hitchhiker and doesn't have uh, Rudger Hauer in it, but that might be a, a bonus, actually, for you, depending on your view of Rudger Hauer. <laughs> it's true. So until next week, this is uh, Matt Johnson, and I'm coming to you from Seattle. And Bob Johnson in Los Angeles wishing you great movie watching. It's all right now, boy. It's all right Five minutes. <laughs> well, you said five o'clock. I'm watching it. It's at four fifty-eight right now. So you're on. You're on target. That's okay. It's going to be one of our shorter ones, which is fine. You can put in a couple more clips or something. Those speeches that each of them made will take up about two minutes. Yeah. Total. And there's there's probably a couple more things I can throw in there and the music and whatnot. So it'll be good.